and good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast, the uh, the online only edition. As we are here to talk about the paranormal, as we are uh, a lot of Saturday nights. And uh, Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Good evening, sir. How are you? I am fine, Tim. Good to be back. And welcome back into the Spooky Studio after a few weeks' absence here. We had the holiday break. We had, uh, there was a, a week that we did a pre-record. Yep. And I think some sports here and there that interfere. And yeah, but it is good to be back. I'm glad that you had a good holiday season. And, uh, and yours as well. Yep. If, if you, um, if you are listening to us on WBSM.com and on the WBSM app and you are not a podcast subscriber, you might not be aware that we actually did have an episode that, um, was put into the podcast feed a couple weeks ago. It was uh, something that we did as a pre-record, but I didn't get everything done in time to have it put into the WBSM system. And I think there might've been football on anyway. So we ended up just putting it directly to the podcast feed, but our guest was Danielle Silverman and she has picked up the work. If you remember Nigel Kerner, we had him on the show a few times, a long time ago, I think uh, back in 2011. And uh, he wrote a, a book way back then about, he thought, extraterrestrials were actually artificial intelligence that were coming and trying to harvest the souls of earthlings. And so he passed away, unfortunately, last year. And Danielle Silverman uh, worked with him and was uh, a a researcher who worked alongside him and helped him compile his books. And so she has picked up the mantle of his work. And uh, she came on and, and spoke with me. And you can catch that in the podcast form. Very interesting discussion. I don't know if I necessarily you know, buy into that theory, but uh, she gave a lot of interesting examples as to why her and Nigel both thought that that was the case. Sounds rather um, L. Ron Hubbard-ish. It wasn't quite that extreme, Um, but then again, you know, I I, I don't know how deep, I didn't read the book, so I don't know how deep they get into it, but uh, certainly I don't think they're building a cult around it, so there's that. All right. I don't think they're making you pay thousands of dollars and controlling your life. I think they're just writing the book and letting you decide for yourself. Right. So I spent, you know, this uh, I feel, feel kind of like, you know, you have to write that essay at the end of summer vacation when you come back to school, how I spent my summer vacation. <laughs> so my essay of how I spent my holiday break, it's, uh, it's just a couple of sentences. I spent the time saving the Spooky South Coast podcast from disappearing forever. I thank you for rescuing it. It's my own fault because for all these years, we've we've put our entire faith in the internet. We've put our entire faith in the fact that this is, this show is uploaded. It was uploaded to a service called HipCast. Mm -hmm. And when we first started putting together the show in late 2005, when Matt Koss and I were like trying to put things together, he said, should we podcast the show? And I said, What's a podcast? I'd heard the term, but I, I was like, is it hard to do? And like, how much does it cost? Because the station is, doesn't, isn't going to pay for this. Like, this is going to be something we pay for out of pocket. And so we found HipCast, which at the time, you know, there wasn't a lot of podcasting services. And this was $9.99 a month. And it allowed you to have unlimited bandwidth, unlimited downloads, and unlimited hosting. And compared to some of the other... Uh, services at the time, which were like usually twice that, were like, yeah. this is a good deal. 10 bucks for unlimited storage. You know, now because podcasts have grown so much, you can get all kinds of podcast services where they'll host your podcast and give you the same thing and it's free. 
Had I known that years ago <laughs> when they started doing all this, maybe I would have pulled it off a hipcast then and saved us 10 bucks a month. But it was funny because every month, you know, we had the, the spooky South Coast bank account, which we don't make any money. So we never put money into it. When we would go out and do our events, I would usually take like 25, 50 bucks of the money that, you know, came right. in from it and I'd put it in there and there goes our, you know. Recording fees. And we would put it in there and that would cover the podcast. That would cover the website fees, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And there were months where, you know, if we hadn't done an event in a while, there were months when there there wasn't money in the account. And Matt and I would be working together and we'd say, one of us has to run down and throw 10 bucks in the bank because we can't let the hip cast expire. Because we're grandfathered into that nine ninety nine deal after they had raised the prices years later. Yep. Like we can't miss that. And so we would literally like leave work, run down to the bank down the street and put 10 bucks in so that we wouldn't, we wouldn't risk losing it. But uh, it turns out it was, you know, all for nothing. But so I realized like we're going to lose all these episodes if I don't do something. So they were supposed to put out a button on the website that would allow you to batch download every episode that you ever had stored. And so I looked for that button everywhere and couldn't find it. I emailed HipCast and asked them about it. And of course, there's nobody answering emails because they're going out yeah. of business. So I never got an answer. So I said, ah, I got to go and download all 600 and something episodes. And so I started doing it. I went out and I bought a hard drive. I was telling you I bought a six yep. terabyte hard drive because I had no that's idea. That's a huge, that's a huge drive. It, well, as it turns out, it'll, it'll last us a while now. Because, like, I don't even have a terabyte of after I downloaded everything. It's, like, something like 75 gig. So I was like, all right, well, I don't know how much it's going to be, so let me buy this one. And so I bought it, started downloading all the shows, and I realized as I went through it that over the course of the year, uh, the years, it'll be 17 in a couple of weeks. That's another funny story, um, which I'll get to in a second. I found out that over the years, we have changed the naming convention so much of the way that we save the episode. So sometimes the, the you know, we've, we've changed the file name many different times. So it's probably showing up as crazy things in people's uh, podcast feeds when they download them and everything. And just the way we labeled the episodes for the RSS feed had changed over the years. Like, you know, the, the fact that we number the episodes now, well, we didn't used to do that. We used to yeah. do like spooky South coast for this date, or we do this date and the guests. And like, it just, it changed so much over the years. I said, I'm just going to start from scratch. I'm going <laughs> to redo them all. And so I was, I'm downloading all the episodes. I'm keeping a log in Google docs of what the episode was about. I'm making sure I use the same file name, same format for the file name every time. And I'm changing the way that I list them all. And I'm starting episode one, episode two, episode three, expecting it all the way to what we're up to, something like 637 or something. Uh, let me see. I'll tell you exactly what the, the last episode number was. 657 was the last episode number. And I, I'm going through all of these, and I realized a couple things pretty early on. First of all, we've celebrated our anniversary every year. As being January 26th, 2006, as our first broadcast. That's what's that's the date that's been in my mind. That's the date that we've celebrated it. That's yeah. the date that we focused on. Now, the reason why I've been able to remember that date so well is my best friend growing up, his birthday is January 27th. So it was always like our birthday for the show, show is the day before his birthday. Well, one of the things I found out, I was wrong on the anniversary date. 
We actually debuted on January 28th, 2006. So it was the day after. Right. It was the day after his birthday instead of the day before. And that was the Saturday night of 2006. So I've been completely wrong about that for 17 years. <laughs> so we've got that squared away now. And then I'm starting going through all, going through all the episodes. And I'm, I'm, I'm at episode like 92. Now keep in mind, I've got 657 episodes that I have to renumber. Well, not quite. As I found out as I was downloading these episodes, they, you know, when Matt Costas started numbering the episodes a few years ago, he had gone through and he had counted all the files in our HipCast storage to figure out what episode we were on. But I don't think what he took into account was that in the old days, HipCast didn't allow you to upload anything more than two hours long. So if it was, if we did a show where we said we're going to go three hours, yeah. It would cut it in half. So like the possession of the church, the old time radio show, we had a couple Bridgewater uh, Triangle shows. Yeah. We went like, so it would, it would break them into parts. And then we also stored some other files on there, some other audio files. So I think, you know, when we would put out like classic episodes, sometimes we'd put those back out into the feed, especially because as we built more episodes, things like um, Apple Podcasts, well, you know, iTunes back in the day, would only display like the most recent 200 episodes or whatever. So we would go and we would take old ones and push them back out into the feed so that they would show up for people. And so that kind of created a bunch of misnumbering. So 657 is actually like, this is probably like episode 630 something tonight. Um, but I'm going to keep sticking with these numbers until I get to that point where yeah. I renumber them all. I did renumber them all as I was downloading them. But then I found out that we were actually missing an episode. Which episode was that? Episode 93, which is from 2008. And this was, uh, and at first I was like, I'm not going to freak out about it. I'm not going to freak out about it. Just one episode out of 600 and something. It's okay. It's okay if we don't have it. Just keep numbering and forget about it. Like, just pretend it doesn't exist. Nobody's ever going to go looking for it. Like, nobody remembers it from 2008. Don't worry about it. And as much as, like, I'm a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to things like this. It has to be exactly the way that I want it, which yep. means it has to be every episode. I can't just jump into a TV show three seasons in. And then, I have to watch it from yep. day one. Yep. Like, one of the reasons I've never gotten into Doctor Who... Oh, God. ...is because <laughs> when I wanted to get into Doctor Who, I watched a couple episodes when, you know, Christopher Eccleston was the doctor. Yeah. I watched a few episodes, and I said, all right, I want to get into this show... But I had to go all the way back to 1964 and uh, 63. Yeah. And I was like, I have to go all the way back to that and get all the episodes and watch them all. And I was like downloading them off torrent sites. Oh, my God. And I was finding like, so some of the episodes, a lot of the episodes were there. But some of the episodes are missing. Some are missing videos. Some missing. Yeah, they kind of recreated yeah. them by taking the yeah. audio from the show and using still photos. And I still watch those. And I got through like the first three or four seasons of it like that. But I just, you know, ran out of steam. But that's just how my mind works. And that's how I am. I have to see everything start to finish. I can't jump in in media res, as they well, say. Well, if you ever want to do a Doctor Who thing, uh, Andy. Well, from from my understanding, BritBox now has all the episodes, so you can like even yeah, even the ones that are so does Andy just photos. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was it was a, I still have them all on my computer somewhere too. Uh, I have a computer tower in storage that has them all. But anyway, it also has all of every episode of In Search of. But I'm like, well, I'm just going to skip this episode and forget it. And then I looked and I saw the description and I saw who the guest was and it was. 
it was um, Stanton Friedman uh. and, and, and Kathleen Martin. And it was the first appearance of Stanton Friedman ever on this show. And it was one of only two appearances he made on Spooky before he passed away. Correct. So I said, there's no way I cannot put a Stanton Friedman episode into the feed. So I'm furiously trying to search. Is there any way that I can find this? And years ago, we used to simulcast, uh, not simulcast the show, but we also uploaded the show to a website called Planet Paranormal. And it's still around. You can still check it out. They have all kinds of great content. They even have an archive section of our, of our show from when we used to upload it. But I can't access what would have been that time period on Planet Paranormal, which was like mid-2008. It doesn't go for that far back on their website. So I went into the Wayback Machine, the Internet Wayback Machine. I don't know if you've ever gone to this. No. On archive.org, they have what's called the Internet Wayback Machine, where you can go back to any website. You type in the website, and it'll go back and show you year by year by year. You can pick what year. And then it's taken snapshots of that site over the course of the year. And usually things like downloads and things like that, it doesn't have that functionality. It kind of shows you where it would be, but in some cases you can. And in some cases for the Planet Paranormal Archives, you can still download some of our episodes from the archive that way. So I start digging through and trying to find it. And of course, that section, that time of 2008, we didn't upload any episodes to Planet Paranormal because we were, we were not consistent with it. So it's not uploaded that way. So I'm just racking my brain thinking about, like, is there any way to get this episode? So I, I'm trying to see if anybody who I know who collects the show has it. And then I realize something. It's not in the HipCast feed, which means we never actually put it out to podcast, podcast, which means nobody that collects the show would have it unless they were, like, recording it off the radio. And so then I thought, well, maybe, because I used to back up the files to DVD-ROM, it may be, if I just happen to still be doing it at that time, there may be a DVD-ROM buried in a box in my storage unit under a whole bunch of books that might have the file on it. If I was pulling them off my computer to download them on there and not just pulling them from the podcast feed. <sighs> so at some point, I'm going to go in there and rip everything. The problem is every day I had time, it was raining. So I couldn't pull everything out of the storage <laughs> unit. I got to get to the very back where there's these giant boxes of books. And then I got to dig through there, hope that I find the discs, and then hope that the discs have, have that it. year on there. And then if they do have that year on there, if it has that episode. So that's how I spent my holiday break. <laughs> wow. It was... I mean, just sitting there in front of the computer, downloading it and saving it, and now renumbering them because I used Anchor for the podcast. Anchor is not very friendly toward uh, going through 600 and something episodes to try and, you know, change information on them. So I'm slowly going through them all, and, and, and you may get updates to it. You may have an episode show up in your podcast feed that has a different number than it had before. It, it will, we'll try to make it all uniform. Once it's all done and we're, we're on board, it'll be, it'll be nice and clean. But for now there might be some issues and uh, probably those of you who subscribe, you probably got a notification that there were new episodes to the podcast feed. You opened it up and you said 657. That's the last one that I heard. There's no new episodes. It's actually because Anchor allowed me to take all those missing episodes from the early part of the show, episodes one through 40 or whatever, and now they're all back into the feed. So you do have new episodes. They're just, you know, from 17 years ago. Well, <sighs> that means we 
can still plan for our 666th episode. We just have a little more time. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I haven't done the math. Maybe it works out that it is around Halloween time again. But um, so, so if you, long story short, if you've had any issues with your Spooky South Coast podcast, then let me know. Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com or hit me up on social media and let me know if you're having trouble accessing it because we did migrate the RSS feed from HipCast to Anchor, so it should have just carried everything over nice and easy. If I go to every podcast service, I can find Spooky South Coast, no problem, but I also didn't have an active subscription to it. I wasn't getting automatic downloads of anything. So if you're missing it not getting automatic downloads, then... You know, let me know because from my understanding, everything should have just swapped over with no issues. But it's nice because, you know, we're on, we're still on all the same little services that we're on, but Anchor helps you get onto some of the bigger ones in a much cleaner way. So we actually, you know, I made sure that we're still in all the places that you could always get it before. So you can get it from Apple Podcasts, you can get it from Spotify, you can get it from Google Podcasts. Uh, let me see what else. So Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, Amazon Music. Of course, we're on our competitors as well until <laughs> uh, they find out. And uh, Stitcher and all those places. So anywhere that you want to get it that you can't get it, let me know and we'll make sure it goes there. Zoom? What? <laughs> it was a number. Like the video service? Yeah. No. No more video. Oh, my gosh. People keep asking about that. They're like, when are you going to bring that back? Like, No. It's too much work. And plus, this is, you know, this is this is our bread and butter anyway, the, yeah. the audio stuff. So, uh, a little bit later on in the program, we are going to be joined by, uh, we're going to be joined by Ken DaCosta of Rise Up Paranormal. He's going to talk with us about The Conjuring House. Uh, Ken's going to be there doing some uh, different stuff, different events going on, and uh, we're going to talk to him about some of the experiences that he's had in The Conjuring House. In... I've realized over the course of the last couple of months that there are, the, the, I've noticed that there's more ownership coming of haunted locations. So, and, and I say that in a sense of there's always been owners of them, obviously, but the owners are taking more of an active role in the scheduling of events of activities going on. So it's not just a place like, so for years, the Lizzie Borden house existed, just using this as an example. And it was a bed and breakfast. People go there and stay the night. But when it came to paranormal things, it was a matter of the groups came in and asked to take, you know, asked to rent out the house for the night. Some of it might've been private groups that rented it out for themselves, but some of it was like us coming in yeah. and running events. And then it was up to us to run everything. And, Many of the uh, the places are still doing the same thing, but they're also putting on their own events. So, you know, the Lizzie Borden House now has a nightly ghost hunt that takes takes place each night. Um, the the Conjuring House she puts on her own different types of tours and investigations, and the same thing happens in other places. I was talking; we were at the uh, Murdoch Whitney House in Winchenden back in uh, mid December. And I was talking with Erica, who was one of the people in the historical society there, the uh, the cultural society, I believe they call it. And she was saying that they they were doing the same thing, that they had their own things going, and they were going quite well. They were doing ghost tours. They were doing paranormal investigation nights. And they were doing, they actually were using uh, one of the rooms as an escape room. 
and they were having a lot of success with that too. But the problem was because they were an all-volunteer group, they had so many bookings that they couldn't get enough people to go there and and be there for them. And so they actually ended up doing away with a lot of it. So it's it, it, I just thought that that was interesting that we're starting to see all these years later that these locations are getting more actively involved. Some of them because there's new owners and new owners see that as a business opportunity. But also in other cases, people who have owned places for a long time who've said, wait, we can just do a lot of this stuff on our own. You know, and I think one of the one of the forefathers of that was Waverly Hills. Yeah. Where you could go and rent it out, but there were also nights that they were putting on things too. I, I miss going to that place. Um, I, w- I, I would like to go back. I mean, I'm not stopping you. I've got so many other things going on, but I'm saying uh, I, I really miss that place. And it brings back memories of Lucky, you know, another mm-hmm. person that was very good friends of the show, and we miss him dearly. As I was going through the list, I saw how many times we, we had him yeah, in frequently. We, yeah. It's, and I don't, I don't want to wax nostalgic as, you know, going through them all. We'll save that for a couple of weeks when we do our anniversary show, which, uh, by the way, will be on our actual anniversary now that I know <laughs> what our actual anniversary is. Uh, so we will have that. And also, we will have... Um, 17 years? Yeah. One more year and we're legal. One more year and we can go to the casino, right? Not in Massachusetts, but the Rhode right, Island. Yeah. And um, we, can go, we can buy scratch tickets. You know what we should do? On the night of the... Because it's a Saturday night, right? They usually do those big lottery drawings on Saturdays. Yeah. So remind me, that night we're going to go buy a lottery ticket. Okay. And we're going to buy that. That's Spooky South Coast buying its first lottery ticket. No, wait, that will be 17 this year. So, all right, remind me a year from now. Yeah, I get where you're going. And then I bet you we win the jackpot. That would be nice. Yeah. And then we stop doing the show because we're loaded. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hire some other people to come in and do it. Um, no, but uh, the... Well, I, you know, when we come to our anniversary show, we can kind of go and do a look back because holy crap, was there a lot of stuff that I forgot about over the years. We did do a lot of things. We, we were, a, you could say a lot of firsts in paranormal stuff that in radio, paranormal radio. Well, people keep asking me about the Bridgewater Triangle. And they'll say, oh, you have a paranormal show? Have you ever talked about the Bridgewater Triangle? And I try okay. not to be a jerk about it, but I, I also kind of have to remind people, like, yeah, you wouldn't know about the Bridgewater Triangle if, if we didn't talk about the Bridgewater right. Triangle. Because, and I think Aaron will tell you this, it was our constant discussion of it that showed him that it was worth revisiting as a feature-length documentary. Yeah. And n- nobody else was talking about it. No other shows covered it. It was this. This was it. Like so, it, and you go back and you look at how frequently it came up in those early years, and you see why it was something that kind of snowballed and kept building. Because not I'm saying that everybody listened to us, but I'm saying uh, in the early days, a large portion of our audience, especially on podcasts, were local paranormal yeah. investigators, yeah. and so they heard about it, and then they went out there and investigated it, and they talked about it. And then they wrote about it, and then they did. So it it kind of just expanded from there. But we also, one thing that we did way back then, we took chances. We took a (laughs) lot of chances. Yeah, we did. We don't take so many chances anymore. And I think part of that is subconsciously, I think part of it is, you know, to be honest, laziness. Like, I think we've gotten a little bit complacent over the years. But part of it, too, is, 
you know, because then we were just trying to do things that were different. And, right. And, and trying to stand out because we wanted to be. We're, we're, but we were trying to stand out in a field where yeah. there wasn't a lot of other paranormal radio shows yet. You know, now there is, and we, we, we've we just become a little complacent, I think. But also, I think part of it, too, is I work here now. Uh, so yeah. now if we do something on a Saturday night, the chance of somebody coming back the next Saturday night to yell at us for what we did was usually pretty thin. Uh, but then now, you know, hearing yeah. about, wait a minute, but I'm the assistant brand director, brand manager now. So I would just be the one yelling at myself anyway. So nothing would change. So maybe we can get away with some more stuff. But I was thinking about things like the Roswell Smackdown, yep. you know, where, where we, we actually like turn it into a, a, a 10 round fight on the radio. Um, the that old, was fun. The old time radio show. I enjoyed that. And uh, a lot of people that I know that are friends of mine that listen, they want us to do another one. I've talked to people about it over the years. Balzano had wanted to write a script. Some other people had wanted to write a script. I'm, I'm all for it. We just have to. And, and now it would be easier to do because now we could, you know, the, it's easier to get a lot of the elements that we had trouble getting before. The Foley type of stuff? Is that what you Yeah. So before, you know, that was the original plan was that Matt was going to just Foley all the stuff himself, but we decided to that it would be easier to, to use sound effects. And to be able to bring all that in now, like we, the, the system, the computer system here would be far easier for that. Yeah. So I could actually build a little library that we could just fire everything off in the right moments. Yeah, a folio file. As yeah. opposed to like before where Matt was like saving everything on the computer and yeah. like trying to load up everything in time. Um, so it, it would be simpler. Obviously, the last couple of years, there's been concerns with you can't have eight people coming and sharing in three yeah. microphones. But, you know, now things are relaxing a little bit. It, it, we could. I've seen when uh, they've done they've done readings of scripts. They did it as fundraisers a lot during the pandemic. So they did, I think they did a reunion of like Fast Times at Ridgemont High where everybody came together and they read the script and they did it. And if... It can work, but if somebody's internet is just a little bit too slow, it kind of will slow things down a little bit. But if we do it, I definitely want to do it. You know what? We actually have the ability now, and we're going to utilize this more in 2023. We have the ability to take the show literally on the road. And maybe we don't have to do it in the studio and have people come and sit outside. Maybe we can go somewhere like a... Go to an actual theater, yeah. Maybe we can go... Maybe not somewhere that big, because that's a lot of space. But, you know, maybe we can get a small little performing art space. There's one in Wareham. There's one in Plymouth. You know, maybe we can go to one of these smaller places and do it on a stage in front of everybody. You know, that's a possibility, too. Although... We'd have to we'd have to hire Matt Costa back for the night. <laughs> I wouldn't feel comfortable without him there producing it and making everything work smoothly. But it was and by the way, that episode now has been combined into one. Oh really? Okay. So I haven't updated the feed with that because I haven't gotten that far in it yet. But it'll eventually be replaced three with hours, one one it? three hour episode. Yeah. So uh, it, it's it's a question as you're going through. You say, do you want to expand it and make it? Do you want to just put everything in as one, or do you want to keep it as separate parts? And I, I'm, I think I'm going to put it as one because it all works together, and that's 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 the advantage of taking chances back then. So we got to take more chances okay. about stuff, especially especially you know I'm trying to get us back into the interview format where we have the guests more often because man, like going back through there and seeing some of those like there were there's some really interesting topics that I just don't even remember covering. There was uh, an episode that we did about Christmas products that were, that were, you know, hazardous 
Like it was called Tainted Christmas. We had a guest oh, come wow. on that had written a book. Totally blanked on that. Totally forgot about that. Okay. There's so many episodes that I was just like, I don't remember that at all. And I thought that I had a pretty good handle of everybody that we'd had on. And going, it must have been one of our first year, first or it second. It was pretty early, yeah. Yeah. And then going through and seeing some of the celebrities we've had on over the years. Like, all right, so I remembered that we had Eddie Money on the show. Yeah. I didn't realize we had Eddie Money on twice. I had forgotten that fact. Yeah. So we had him on twice. Um, WWE Hall of Famer Mick Foley. Yeah. Hall of Famer, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Yeah, we had Lita, another WWE Hall of Famer on. Um, we've had this this one because, you know, we used to do all that stuff with Wayne and, uh, and Rock for Christmas. I didn't even realize that, like, it just totally blanked from my mind that we had Craig Goldie on from Dio. Yep. Like... I would have. I, I wish I could have gone back and done that episode over again and asked all kinds of questions about Dio. <laughs> uh, but you just listen to it and you say, "Oh man, what, what, what? Why didn't I ask those questions? Why didn't I ask that?" But yeah, well, it's, how, you and I helped Wayne out with a couple of the Rock for Christmas tours and yeah, hanging out back, you know, with guys from you know Bad Finger and mm -hmm. you know Joey Molland, well, uh, who I yeah. think I think was on the show at one point. Yeah. Um, we had, uh, you know, Terry Loose from XYZ. XYZ yeah. I was just playing some XYZ on my morning show yesterday. And, of course, hanging out with um, Sib Hashin mm -hmm. from, from Boston and, you know, Barry Goudreau. Well, obviously, they were hanging with Ernie. But it was fun. I, I went and did a couple little ghost hunts with Sib. You know, he was big he's, into, you know, yeah, I mean, rest his soul. He's but. passed away a few years ago. But uh, a lot of people don't realize this. So, you know, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Yeah. He's married to Sib's daughter. No shit. Yeah, Lauren. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. So um, they have some children together. So yeah, so he's he Sib's grandkids are the Rock's kids. Yeah. Very Small interesting. Small world. Yeah. Uh, one of the episodes, too, that we put out there before we took our little holiday break, and it did air on WBSM, and it is out there in the podcast, but we, we have a special episode on misogyny in the paranormal. Uh, I put together a, a panel. It was, of course, Stephanie was with me. Sorry, Moniz, we, we didn't invite you to this because we figured, you know, me being there was bad enough when we're trying to talk about women and the paranormal and the things that they face. One guy was was taking up too much space already. I wish I could have pulled myself out and put another, you know, female voice in there. But um, I asked Stephanie if she wanted to host it and she wasn't totally sure that she wanted to, to you know, run the whole thing. So that's why I stuck in there. But, um, cause we did it over, um, stream yard. Okay. So we only had six spots. And so it was her, it was, um, Amanda Woomer from spook eats and who, uh, publishes the journal, the feminine macabre. We had, uh, Becky and Galantine. We had Amanda Paulson, we had, and by the way, Becky Ann Galantine is known on social media as My Bloody Galantine. Amanda Paulson is known as, as Pretty and Spooky. And we had Amanda Millette, who you've heard on this program, who is a Spooky New England, Spooky New England ghoul. And we had them all come on and talk about the way that women are treated in the paranormal. And it's pretty eye-opening if you haven't listened to it. But one of the things that was uh, a major topic of that night it's just how many creepy guys there are in the paranormal. Like, 
Remember that time that Stephanie got hired to to be a special guest at a ghost hunt? And she was pretty much the only one. She there. was the only one there. She yeah. drove all the way up to, you know, I figured it was New Hampshire or Maine or whatever. And when she got there, it was just her and the guy that hired her. And he paid her, paid her a good amount of money just so he could hang out with her privately the whole time. And she still feels icky about it to this day. And and that's something that is, it's it's bad. It's yeah. bad how much of this, is, you know, and we certainly can't name names, but we are hearing names. And it's just, it, it's an issue. So if you haven't checked out that episode, please do. Because it's it's an important one. And I'm not saying that just to, you know, blow smoke. I've had a lot of people who've come back and said, you know, thank you guys for doing this episode and for putting that out there. And there's there's other things like that that we can cover. Other issues that I think as we go forward, we will, because we do have kind of a responsibility, is being, mm. I don't know how many people listen to us and, and consider us to be like authorities on anything or or, you know, consider our voice to have any weight. But as... Looking, you know, looking at all these episodes as I've been doing this, that's a heavy volume of episodes. So somebody looking for a paranormal show might say, I think I'll go to this one because they've got a lot of episodes and I know it's worth my time to invest myself in it. And so if you're going to have all these topics covered, you know, there's other important topics that we need to cover. We need to do something about the racism that exists. We need to do something about the anti-Semitism that exists. These are problems that you know, I'm sure have been going on in the field for a long time, but well, have they really... they go on in everyday life. So having it happen in, in you know, it, it, it happens in sports. It happens in, you know... But so. it's co-opting so much stuff in the paranormal these days that because the paranormal world is prone to discuss these conspiracy theories that are out there, and those conspiracy theories open the door for these kind of things. So you and I, 10 years ago, could have sat here and had a really fun discussion with somebody about, you know... Were there secret Nazi bases in Antarctica that they were hiding UFOs in? And, you know, that was something that people have talked about forever. But then there's people who are pushing an anti-Semitic agenda who start talking about those things and, and are putting themselves out there as people to talk about those things and start working in some of this these anti-Semitic statements. Uh, just as an example, on, on, uh, on Midnight Society, I had somebody come on to talk about the occult and Nazism. And, you know... Well, the occult and Nazism is well-documented. Right. So my thought is, you know, of course, immediately my alarm goes off because of how much people are sneaking this stuff in these days. But I'm looking at it, and I'm like, it's somebody who has been talking about this topic for a long time. And, yeah, he's been associated with some people who have had some, some questionable things. But, you know... I'm willing to hear this guy out. And so we go through, it's a two hour show. We go through an hour and 45 minutes with no problem, you know, discussing all of this stuff in a very reasonable way. And we're in the final 15 minutes. We're in the home stretch. And uh, he's talking about somebody. He's talking about a particular person who was kept at Auschwitz. And and then he says, uh, and, you know, and of course nobody died in any of the concentration camps. So that's it. And I was like, whoa. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let it go at this point. I'm just going to let him keep going. I'm not even going to. No one died. That that was his. Nobody died in concentration camps. That's all just propaganda. Uh, One of my uncles helped free those camps in this. Members of my family died in the camp. So So that's that's but that's what they're doing. They're taking these topics and they're pushing in these notions. 
I had to cancel a guest on Midnight Society five minutes before we were about to go on the air. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Paul Seaburn. The guy is I know the name. One of the coolest guys in the world. He he compiles um, paranormal stories for a, a certain website that I'm not going to name. And he does a great job, and he's a great guy. He's a funny guy. He used to be a joke writer for The Tonight Show. You know, he used to fax jokes to Jay Leno. And so, and, and one of the nicest people in the world. But five minutes before I'm about to go on the show, I get sent all this documentation about how the owners of the website are misogynists, how they are um, homophobes, and they're showing me tweets that they've put out, they're showing me, you know, all this different stuff. And I was like, there's no way I can in good conscience go on and promote this website. And I feel bad because I want to promote Paul and his work, but his work all resides on this website. And so I called him. I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, but I can't, I can't put you on the air because I can't promote that site. And I can't talk to you without it being, it's all about the articles that you've written. So I have to stand up to this and say, no, we're not giving airtime that will bring people and create revenue on that site. It's hard. It, it, it's hard. It, it, that's a site that Nick Redfern writes articles for. Who Nick Redfern is one of the most, you know, I know wide open-minded yeah. people, except for except for the uh, Bentwaters thing. I'm sure you guys don't agree on that. Yeah. Because he thinks that that was all a hoax. But there's, you know, it's, it's just, a, it's amazing how much people can get co-opted by those who create these sites Look at Dark Matter when I got fired from Dark Matter and they turned that into, you know, this far right, alt right conspiracy garbage. And it just like I'm, you know, I'm one week I'm doing a show about, you know, uh, April Fool's jokes and legends and all those kind of things. And, you know, uh, talking about ghosts and things like that. And then the next night they're like, we've got people live in hospitals proving that there's nobody there with COVID, that this isn't real. I mean, I understand. I understand that part of getting involved in a space where conspiracy theories can be part of the discussion, that it's going to mean that sometimes that discussion is going to be a little bit out of bounds. But the fact that it's come in through so much, you, you, you saw this happen a few years ago with MUFON. Oh, yeah. Where MUFON well, basically fell apart. Yeah. Because of the uh, misogyny that was going on in that organization. It wasn't just misogyny. It was just outright lunacy in some well, parts of it. But they, they actually had women who came forward and said oh, that yeah. they were. The, and that, then the president of MUFON. Jams. Yeah. He, he gets arrested for soliciting sex from a 16-year-old girl. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't know. Turns what, out to be a. It was a trap, yeah. Yeah, but I, and I, I don't know what the outcome of that um, um, case was, so I'll say allegedly. Uh, but I, I also saw how, you know, they said, okay, well, we've got to replace this guy. And who did they replace him with? They replaced him with a guy who created an airline solely to serve people who want to join the Mile High Club, which th okay. like, there's nothing wrong with that. I see nothing wrong with the man wanting to have a business where he owns an airplane. If he wants to own an airplane where he can take you and your significant other up into the airplane and you can get it on at 30,000 feet to say that you did and then come back and all that. Like totally, I have no problem with that. Great business idea. Actually. I like it. But at the same time, 
when you just had your president of your organization get arrested for allegedly soliciting sex from a minor. Don't bring in the dude that runs the Mile High Club airline to run it. It's not a good look. As they say, the optics on that are terrible. It just didn't make any sense. Bring in somebody like who I thought would take over, but I guess didn't want to, Kathy Martin, have her run the show. Or people of similar ilk, people who are the field oh, investigators. I, I can name several others in, in the organization that could have easily done it. But then again, it, I know MUFON, I've known them for decades. And I can say that a lot of it is good old boy network. Okay. And that's the same for a lot of organizations. You know, to be honest, but it it all comes down to who you who you're um, sitting at the lunch table with. You know, that kind of mentality is what goes on in there. And, and I also, you know, there was there was an exodus of people from MUFON even before that. Yes, I remember. <laughs> Hello. Well, <laughs> I, but even the higher ups, I'm talking like people who were high up there. Kind of, I don't know if they knew things were going on like that. But they certainly saw issues. I mean, I've never talked to Chris Cogswell about it, but he left. Um, you know, when, when he was on the program, he was, you know, an up-and-coming star in MUFON. And, you know, and you've seen, you know, it's funny because as I was going through the episodes, I saw all these other attempts that there had been over the years to start these different paranormal um, centralized organizations. Like a MUFON. It, 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 it still could use one. And MUFON is still not a bad idea. It's just not executed properly. It'll never work for ghosts. It will never work for ghosts. As long as half the people that are out there collecting the data think that an orb is a ghost and think that you have no right to tell somebody when it might be lens flare or anything like Dust that, as long as that mentality exists, there can never be um, a centralized you know, for lack of a better term, uh, reporting center. But that was one of the things. We had the Worldwide Paranormal Reporting Center that some of our friends started to get going. We had them on multiple times, and we thought, hey, this might be the one that go." Nope, didn't work. And then I just looked through all the episode descriptions, like, oh, here's another one. Nope, didn't work. Uh, Donna LaCroix started one. Nope, didn't work. Yeah. So it just, it, it, it's almost like we are, in the paranormal world, we have a, 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 a reluctance to have somebody out have somebody out there that might point out the BS because deep down inside we know that a lot of it is BS. But there are some real genuine gems out there. Sure. But if you only focused on what was real and genuine, it wouldn't be that much to talk about. You yeah. wouldn't it wouldn't be as popular as it is. You know, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be as many TV shows. There wouldn't be as many radio shows, podcasts, whatever, if we only focused on the true stuff. I mean, obviously we try to do that here, but we all, how many times have we also had episodes where we talked just about. Just total silliness too. We do. do we, we do that. We do that quite a bit. And sometimes it's just about food. But <laughs> if you go like beyond that and you say, let's just, let's just say that you were going to focus on only the cases that were that that were believed to be true or couldn't be debunked as a hoax that's kind of doing a disservice too you have to talk about the things that are hoaxes you have to talk about the things that aren't real yeah. and and have those discussions in a way of here's why it went that way but you can't do that you can't you can't point out anymore that that is 
you know, a lens flare or dust or whatever. You can't point out that, well, maybe that's actually another investigator talking in your EVP clip. Like, those days are gone. People don't want to hear it. You're, you're a hater if you say that. And it, it's I see the same thing with influencers on social media where there are some influencers who are the most hollow people in the world, but yet everybody buys into everything that they put out there. And if you say anything about, uh, against that, you're going to get shot down. And it's, it's sad because the checks and balances that we had to answer to and that others who have come up have had to answer to are, are kind of gone now because you just have to find people that are willing to back what it is that you think. And that can be your, your tribe, as they say, that can be yeah. your people. And it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Science doesn't work that way. <laughs> well, it shouldn't work that way. It's like, have you worked in science? No, science, science, the application versus science, science. the yeah. science versus science, the business are two yeah. different things. Yeah. <laughs> like, for example, you know, I, I'm sure you have had plenty of times that you have been told you don't have to give us any real examples, but there are probably plenty of times you've been told, hey, wait, I don't think this. And people have told you, shh, just move on. Oh, every day. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, we'll worry about that later. <laughs> yeah, every day. Yeah. And it, you, it kind of bothers me a little bit because you work with like pharmaceuticals and <laughs> things that people probably shouldn't be saying. Ah, don't worry about that. Uh, yep. Well, hey, this drug will make it so that you don't get Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, but you will grow hair all over your eyeballs. Ash, well, we'll worry about that later. That's not a problem. Yeah, yeah, that's a, uh, yeah, I'm being a little glib about it, but yes, it really does happen. You know, and there was a meme I I saw recently, and not to be taking things one way or another, uh. It, it basically said, I tried to follow the science, but it keeps leading me back to the money. And yeah. that, that statement is correct. Uh, do you do you have colleagues who are similarly frustrated, though? I mean, is it? Oh, yeah. So it's a matter of, hey, you just stay quiet to, t to, to get your paycheck. Uh, uh, essentially, yeah. Because, you know, the way the economy is and the way the business is, if you don't toe the line, you, you can very easily be blackballed out. Do you yeah. have Do you have Hulu? You need to you need, get get. I, see, I, I barely watch TV. Get, get yourself like a one month subscription to Hulu and watch the series Dope Sick, about how um, the Sacklers put out uh, the the um, OxyContin, and you will probably be screaming at the TV as you watch it, and it might be a little bit too real for you. So that and, means I gotta go watch it at somebody else's place because I don't want to throw anything through my TV. No, I don't think anybody, it's just, I mean, it's just a TV show. I don't think anybody would, would, I don't think you're going to get fired over it. Nobody's going to find out that you watched it. No. Is that I, your concern? No. Being aggravated, I don't want to. Oh, oh you don't want to break your own TV. I see what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, no, it's, it, it won't, I don't think it'll get you to that point, but I think I, where I was, my, my mouth dropped and my mouth stayed dropped for almost the entire eight episodes or whatever. You'll probably just be nodding your head. You know, that's, that's kind of the way it was. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about it during the break so that, it, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot uh, on the radio, but man, 
Well, I work for Pro- companies that make the stuff. So. Profit over people. That's uh, that's why I'm saying I don't want to put yeah. you in any, <laughs> any weird position. It wouldn't be something I wouldn't already know. So, all right, well, we are going to take a break here coming up uh, because we will have the news, even though we're stream only. The, the news is coming up at the top of the hour. When we come back on the other side, Ken DaCosta from Rise Up Paranormal is going to join us, and he'll discuss with us uh, some upcoming events he has going on at the Conjuring House and some of his investigations there because it the activity there is changing. And the things are so if you heard a lot about these negative, scary things that went on at the Conjuring House, it's not like that anymore. At least it doesn't seem that way. It seems like under this new ownership and nothing against the old ownership. I just think it's a different approach and a different mindset. It has kind of metamorphosized into something else. And and of course, the old owners, by the way, are still helping out with the new owners. So it's not like it was them as people. I think there's just something that has changed there. And, uh, and it's really fascinating to watch, especially to those who have been going back there again and again, like Ken DaCosta, and doing a case study of it. So we'll talk with him about that. We'll also take your phone calls at 508-996-0500, or you can hit us up on App Chat on the WBSM app. If you download the app and you go to the App Chat feature, select Spooky South Coast. It usually selects the show that's on anyway, and just send that on over, and that will send us a text message right here on the studio that we can either read on the air or we can respond to, and you can send that to us anytime. Uh, you don't have to do it just during the show, but it's always good to do it during the show if uh, you want us to talk about it on the air, and you can always email us anytime too, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com, and we can get back to you as well. So we're going to take a break for the news. When we come back, Ken DaCosta will talk The Conjuring House and more paranormal with you. Stay tuned. South Coast here. Tim Weisberg here, along with science advisor Matt Moniz. And uh, we are glad to be back here in the spooky studio talking with you about the paranormal. 508-996-0500 is the number to call in if you want to call in. And uh, we're going to have Ken DaCosta join us here in a bit from Rise Up Paranormal. Uh, He's got some things going on this evening, but he's going to hopefully pop in if he can. And uh, if not, we definitely want to have him come on in the future to talk more in depth about what's going on over at the Conjuring House because, like I said, it is pretty interesting how much things are changing there. One of the, you know, we used to do shows, as I was going through all those past shows, I realized we used to do like a paranormal year in review at the end of every year, and we would kind of talk about what we thought were some of the things that would be happening going forward. This year, I think, was a strange one in the paranormal world because we saw, first of all, we saw some... We saw places change hands. We saw some of the 
TV shows canceled. We saw some of the new TV shows debut. We saw, I mean, there's always a lot of fluctuation in the paranormal world anyway. Um, there's always people who pass away. We yeah, lose new people starting that are making an appearance. So it, it really was, it was a, a year in flux, which looking back at it all, I'm kind of glad. It was nice to have a lot of, as weird as activity in the paranormal world, not paranormal activity, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of things happening in the paranormal world as after the last couple of years had been you know, obviously yeah. slowed down because of everything that was going on. So it was nice to see that there was another year where it's like, wow, you know, the, there really is a lot going on and flipping it around. It, it also shows that there is quite a bit of, um, interest still out there uh, beyond you know just the people who have been in involved in it and the people who are just keep going from year to year there still are a lot of new people that are getting turned on to this topic as something worth their time and worth pursuing i think that's because our media presence and what i mean by media is like our internet our you know channels you can select the paranormal is now become a staple in broadcasting and and is a resource that people can look up into. So. And, and I think I think the streaming services putting yeah. such a focus on paranormal, uh, you know, usually fictional things, but still putting it out there has kind of really helped blow up that interest. The same way the X Files did in the nineties. Right. I think that you're seeing a lot of that happen now. I think we have a, a phone call here five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. You're on WBSM. Hey, Tim. Ken DaCosta here. How you doing? Oh, hey, Ken. Uh, did I give you the wrong number? Yeah, I uh, called an insurance company. They're not open right now. Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> hey, Happy New Year, everybody. How you doing? All right. How are you? How, uh, how is your New Year going so far? Uh, very quiet. Uh, interesting. Uh, my wife had a little accident yesterday, so uh, just kind of giving her a little bit of uh, tender love and care right now. But uh, all good on our front. Well, you're already starting off the year, as as Rise Up does every year, uh, with a, a full slate of things going on. But I'm, I'm very interested in talking with you a little bit, not only about this, this uh, event that you have coming up at the Conjuring House, but the fact that you have added that location into the mix of places where Rise Up has been able to do an, an ongoing case study. Yeah, we've been uh, very fortunate. We're very graciously invited into the house by the new owner. Uh, Jacqueline Nunez, who has kind of embraced our group and vice versa. Um, we love what she's doing with the house. We love that she's emphasizing the uh, the historical nature of it and uh, what really is happening there. And, um, you know, in so doing, dispelling a lot of the myths and uh, kind of, um, you know, untangling that web that, uh, you know, has really been attached to it for the last few years. So uh, very fortunate to have the opportunity to uh, investigate the place and do some events there. And, you know, I was talking before we took the news break about how much things have changed. And, and to be fair, I never investigated there uh, until I went with you in August. So I had never mm -hmm. even stepped foot in the house. Uh, so I was never there under the previous ownership. But I have been in the house now with Corey there and with Jacqueline there. And 
nothing against the previous owners, but from what she's been telling me, there really has been a change of, of the way things have gone there, that some of the darker, scarier stuff that might have been happening over the last couple of years seems to be kind of fading off, and it, it's become a much more positive, much more um, light-filled, but also much more kind of interactive location. Yeah, I mean, the dynamic there has really changed, and that's by design. Uh, when she came in, she wanted to emphasize other parts of it. And, you know, there was a movie that happened a few years ago, and, um, you know, they have a great effect on people. You know, anything in pop culture, whether it's what you read or what you see, and people formulate opinions about it. And they take those things and they kind of run with it um, to become part of the story. Uh, something malevolent or something dark. And um, we just haven't seen that there, which is kind of ironic because if you're paying attention and documenting and collecting data like we have in the three or four times we've been there, there's no doubt in my mind that it is a very active place, just not with the breadth and scope that um, everybody wants it to be or anticipates it to be and uh you know typically if you go in there and spend some time um it is actually kind of a really comfortable place and of course you know the parents story is the parents story that's the way i've always approached it you know these are the things that happened to them and you know they are what they are they're in the books but uh, a lot of the ancillary things with Bathsheba Sherman and witches and all the rest of those things are kind of, uh, you know, have been very much contrived. And um, what we're trying to do is just bring it back to reality and do a little bit of part to uh, to help her do that and have people uh, appreciate the place on a different type of level. And it's funny because you think that over time, as popular as the Conjuring film was, you would think that over time, like some of that starts to fade. But I saw Andrea post something, you know, today that it's it's on Netflix and it's one of the top movies on Netflix right now. It's it's mm -hmm. it's the movie that'll never fade from the public consciousness. It seems to always it's it's join that pantheon of horror movies that people are gonna watch again and again and again and are still gonna just take that as gospel. The modern basically uh amityville horror yeah yeah well you've got um a lot of things there matt of course you know you have the warrens involved mm -hmm. and, you know and of course they are you know iconic i guess would be the word i'd use yeah. in the field of paranormal research and you know the movie is really you know the backdrop are the books that andrea wrote the trilogy but it really is the warren story and, of course, you know, James Wan um, certainly did a great job. And, I mean, there's a lot of license that's taken with it, like there are in any movie, whether it's horror or any genre out there that's somewhat semi-autobiographical. And, um, you know, it spawned the, um, I guess, highest-grossing franchise now in horror film history, with the uh, three movies they've made and the spinoff with Annabelle. So, you know, people are still kind of living that and projecting that on the uh, actual house itself. And like I say, I can honestly say, and I don't say this ever lightly, that there have been some really odd things that have happened to us there, but that's where it ends. Odd things, strange things, nothing that's ever been threatening, but 
certainly people want to play up that angle because fear sells and there are a lot of content creators now uh, who have been to the house in the last couple of years that want to play up that angle of it. So there's a little bit of a tug of war there and a little bit of a push and pull, but I think that uh, eventually people will come to see the location for what it is. I, I think that there's probably going to be, you know, those folks who never want to go beyond the surface story that they know about a place. So you're always going to have people that show up and, and all they know about it is what they've seen in the movie. What do you think is the most surprising thing that happens to you when you go into that house and you spend time in there, even if you're not investigating, just going and taking a tour? What do you think surprises people the most with the, the, when they come in and, and changes kind of some of their, um, uh, their predisposed notions? Yeah, I think the aesthetics of the place is the first thing that hits everybody when they walk in. Um, a lot of people have some trepidation, people who have never been there before, and some of the people we've taken in have not, which is great because they're starting from the ground up. But I think when you walk in and you see the exposed beams and the sort of hominess of it, the way it's been appointed, um, I think that's the first thing that strikes them um, because they've got to check all those preconceived ideas at the door and some do a pretty good job of it, and, you know, some don't. Um, but I think the aesthetic is the number one thing that hits them because, you know, you, there's not cobwebs hanging from the ceiling and uh, everything like that. Um, but I think the way that they're greeted, whether it's by Jacqueline or any of the people there that uh, squire everybody through, and um, the way it's presented right from the beginning, I think goes a long way to put people at ease and people are instructed and encouraged to please have your own experiences here um whatever you've seen balance that out with what you're seeing with your own eyes and what you're feeling um but of course you know this is a whole different thing than the movie which was filmed in north carolina i guess and for a lot of people when they first see the house this ranch style house from the 1700s they're a little taken aback by it because they've seen the pictures of it. But I think once you get inside, um, there's kind of a comfortable feeling and a homey type of feeling that comes along with it. So I think that's the first thing that I think people really, it, it, it sort of hits them when they walk into the place. It's nothing at all like they would uh, typically expect. Uh, you know, when we were there in August, it was... It was kind of a one-two punch for me because I had recently investigated the Emory Estate in Weymouth, which is a, a different type of haunt for me because it is uh, folks who had passed away in the last, like, 10 or 15, 20 years, and they understand what it is that you're doing. They know what, what the equipment is that they're using, that you're using. So there's a little bit more of an intelligence there. And then I kind of, you know, went in with, with you guys and with Andrea being there, and we got a lot of you know, spirits connected to her both from the house and from her own family. And it really kind of made things personal for me again. When when it hadn't been a personal thing for me in a long time, and I've kind of gotten cold and detached from it. Is that is that a feeling that you get often there, that idea of that connection to what is there? Because what happened in August with, with, uh, Co with uh, Cody and Satori doing their thing was just mind-blowing. Yeah, amazing. And the willingness of... The people who are there, 
uh, of their own free will, I believe. This is not a question of anybody's trap there or, you know, I think that that's overplayed. I think that uh, in spirit people have free will and when they are requested and called upon, they're more than happy to tell their story. And if we're talking about what Cody and Satori do with their methods, they give us a lot of emotional content where that goes beyond names and dates, some of which the problem with the place is a lot of the stories that come from it are anecdotal. They're passed down through generations and the old timers tell the story and you know how anecdotal tales go. Um, historical documentation doesn't add up to it. But I think in this type of place that we've got information that suggests that they are well aware of what's being said about the place and they're welcoming and the thing that we keep getting is they just love the respect that people are showing them and um, there are things that have happened to me there without them present that have been mind-blowing but I think when you talk about places like you are Tim I mean there are certain places that have a haunted history that are homes uh, public places and historically significant locations, places like the Conjuring House and others that you've been to, they check off all three of those boxes. And you can't say that about every place out there, but this house has really lived a full life, if you want to put it in those terms. Sure. And and for Moniz and for the listeners who, who didn't get to see it, so when Cody and Satori do their thing, they... Mm -hmm. they they embrace each other, and you'll hear knocks coming from all over. And I was, of course, I, I've known them forever, Ken. I, I fully believe the right. things that they do, but yeah. I'm, I'm still skeptical of this because it's, it's, it's hard to believe. And so I see them doing it downstairs, and I'm like, okay, there's what's the trick? What's going on? I'm trying to figure it out, and I can't. And then we went upstairs into the bedroom, and the knocks are happening on the wall over me, on the ceiling over me, on the wall next to me, on the complete opposite side of the room from where they are. And right. I, I just can't wrap my head around how it's happening. Yeah, um... Without going into a long story, they, they actually discovered this in 2018. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in uh, I think it was 2021, we had gone to a Masonic Lodge, I think in New Bedford, and they said, you mind if we try something? Sure. And this was happening in front of me. And um, I was dumbstruck by it. And, of course, um, I said, how long have you been doing? A couple of years. We didn't want to tell you. Why? <laughs> well, we know the way you are. And I'm like, well, what is that supposed to mean? You know? I said, well, you know, you're, you're kind of a pragmatic, and I know this is really weird. So we've done everything with them, and this is not condescending at all. They welcome it. We've put cameras on floors below them. We've put... Uh, um, vibration sensors on them. We put flare cameras on them. Um, basically, it's so amazing that we try to do everything that we can to document the entire surroundings because this really is kind of ironic to me with everything that's being invented right now. A couple of young people hold hands and there's literally knocking and communication on the floor. So go figure, right? I mean, it, it comes down to the most elemental and basic of things that probably date back to the 1840s, right? It's, uh, 
it's amazing. And when people say, um, how did they find this? You know, my response is, I believe in my heart it actually found them, to be honest with you. But I think it's just, uh, I, I feel blessed, and a lot of us around here do, that they're with us so often that we get to experience these things. But the stories I could tell you from the Conjuring House to the Colonial Inn to different places we've gone, um, they're just astounding. They, they would be hard for me to believe if I hadn't lived them. So you've actually got a chance for people to come and check out the Conjuring House uh, coming up next month. Yeah, we do. Um, the event is February 17th. <clears throat> Excuse me, still battling a cold here, but I'm getting there. Uh, on February 17th, we're actually doing an overnight investigation, and it's on a weekend, which is great. And, Tim, you're going to be joining us there. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going from 7 p.m. to 8 the following morning. So this will be a 13-hour extended investigation of the place and uh, what we're going to start off doing when you come in is um, we are going to immediately give a short presentation of some of the things we've documented there some of the evidence if you will and these aren't going to be things that I'm going to tell you stories of things that happened 40 years ago or 30 years ago these are going to be things that happened within the last maybe three weeks or a month or the last four months So they're all going to be recent things that are documented. And then we'll take a tour of the house, of course, um, which is always a big, you know, a big favorite for people who have never been there before. Get you used to the lay of the land with all the lights on. Um, Then we're going to start the investigation. Um, Dinner will be served, and we're not going to be ordering pizzas. You're actually going to get a home-cooked Italian meal, courtesy of us. So we're looking forward to that. And um, and then you are on your own, basically. Um, so the uh, the cost for it is $200 a person, but it's a 13-hour overnight investigation with dinner included. And um, so I think for what that is, it's a great value. And uh, we're very happy to be doing our first overnight, and we're looking forward to... More as the year goes on, we're just going to do something a little bit different than your typical overnight there. Uh, Oh, one of the things we're going to do is give everybody access to a complimentary 360-degree photos of your investigation. And there may also be some videos in 360 degrees that people will have access to, sort of like a memento um, of their investigation, of their night there. Hmm. And... I can't remember if it's rule four or if it's rule seven, but you have to obey it. That's uh, there's 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 no um, extracurricular activities in the house. Yeah. Uh, so you're going to be there overnight. Might might want to share a sleeping bag if you doze off, but don't uh, don't break that rule. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's going to be a long night, so people can certainly you know come in, bring a sleeping bag, you know, uh, you grab a nap somewhere. Um, sometimes people don't stay till, you know, till eight o'clock in the morning, you know, so we want everybody to enjoy themselves, have a good time, um, serious investigation with a few laughs and, um, just be comfortable there and, um, you know, enjoy your night. And at the end of it, you can make up your own mind, um, as to what goes on in this house, but, 
I would never promise anybody anything, but I'm pretty confident that everybody will walk away with a great experience. All right. And how can people sign up if they want to do so? Yeah, you can uh, sign up at riseupparanormal.com slash conjuring house overnight. And the link for that can also be found on our Rise Up Paranormal Facebook page. So please feel free to uh, go in there. Uh, private message me if you have any questions about it at all. So um, right now, uh, go to Facebook. Go to Rise Up Paranormal Facebook. Just scroll down a little bit. And um, we understand that we're just coming out of the Christmas break. So we're giving people a chance to sort of come up for air. But I will tell you that these events at the Conjuring House do sell out very quickly. It could be overnight. So there are still some places available. We have a minimum of 12 people, a max of 16. Don't worry about the numbers. They work out fine as we separate you. So there'll be plenty of control over the situation. And, um, you know, we know how it is. Tim, you know how it is when we do events. We don't herd everybody into one room, and it's, uh, you know, a free-for-all. So as investigators, we appreciate what it takes to do something that's uh, worthwhile. So that's riseupparanormal.com slash Conjuring House Overnight. More information on the Rise Up Paranormal Facebook page. All right. Well, we thank you for joining us, and uh, and please give your wife our best, uh, and uh, and I look forward to seeing you in February, if not before. Will do. Absolutely. Guys, take care. Thanks for having me, and um, you guys have a great show. And take care. Have a good one, Ken. Thank that you. That is uh, Ken, Ken DaCosta of Rise Up Paranormal, and, uh, and again, you can go to Rise Up Paranormal's uh, Facebook page is probably the best way to go. You can also go to their to their website as well and get those tickets. I'll be there, and you'll get to hang out with me, and you'll get to, you know, not break the rule. The rule that I'm talking of, they actually have a rule, Monies. Just, you know, I don't want people to think that I'm being uh, coy here. They have a, a rule that actually says you, you can't have sex in the house. Uh, okay. And the rule exists because people have actually had sex in the house. So they had to make that a rule. <laughs> uh, okay. So, yeah. So um, there's that. If you, if you, I mean, if you need to, if you feel the need, you know, maybe we can get keys to the barn. But. Uh, uh, okay. That's a whole nother. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just wow. went the first time that I went in there. I saw it on the, on the list and I just started laughing. And um, I didn't say anything to anybody. And then the next time I went. Because uh, the first time I went, I went with Ken and a group of others as part of the Ocean State Paracon. Uh, Jacqueline, the owner, was nice enough to give Ken, donate a night there for Ken to raise more money for the the, um, the charity that the Ocean State Paracon was benefiting. And so I didn't really say anything. You know, I was kind of sitting in the background. And it, it, that was a very, it was a very um, energetic night, we'll say. There's a lot of stuff going on because Andrea Perrin was there. And, yeah. You know, so there was, uh, you know, no, nobody had time for my jokes or anything. But then when I went back and took the tour with some folks that had come from out of town and out of state and uh, and Corey Heinzen was actually le leading the tour, I, I said, okay, I got to ask about this rule. And that's when he explained to me that, you know, they actually had caught people doing it and that's why they had to make it a rule. So. Okay. Suppose you just rent the place out for you and another person, you know. Um, I don't know that you can. Like, I think they still have a staff person there, so, like, it's still still not a good idea. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it's, 
it's a beautiful place. If you even if you don't want to take part in a ghost hunt and a paranormal investigation, and you're into history, I recommend just going and taking the tour. I think it's like twenty five dollars to take the tour. They bring you through. They give you the history. They talk about some of the things that are you know mentioned in the movie that aren't really true. They take you through and they give you some of the stories of of the Perrin family and what happened in those rooms, and you get a chance to kind of explore freely at the end for a little bit. And it's, it's definitely worth going there if you're interested in local history or even if you're just interested in the movie and you want to see the real place that it happened. Um, how many times do you get that opportunity? You know what I mean? That, sure, you hear about places like the Lizzie Borden House. You hear about places like Waverly Hills and Bobby Mackey's and all these places that you see on the ghost shows that you can go and tour. But how often can you go and tour a place that's like the star of a movie, even right. though it wasn't filmed yeah. there? No, I get you. So it's like, it's like being allowed to go to... You know, the Amityville house, if you could go there and take a tour, this this is the modern-day Amityville. Uh, I agree. That's what I said earlier. Now, getting back to the Amityville, that has been privately bought, right? And it is... Yeah, it's been the same owner since, I think, 2017 or 18. 18. And, uh, yeah, so when I was there last year... Uh, we were parked outside the house quite a bit. It was for the special. We're not right. creeps. Um and it, so, you know, we were told to do this, and, and unbeknownst to me, we were permitted to do this. I thought we weren't. I thought we were being sneaky about it. But anyway, um, and it's just, you know, it's just a regular family. You know, saw them come out, take out their garbage, and put it out on the street and all that. It's just people who wanted to buy this beautiful house right on the water. And that's the thing. That's the thing about going to some of these places. When I went to the Amityville house, and, and as you know, it's been something I've been obsessed with my whole life. Yes. But I had never been there. I never laid eyes on the house until last year. And like Stephanie will tell you, the whole day I was just anxious to get there. Like, okay, are you ready to go? I'm in her driveway waiting for her to come and get into the rental car. Like, all right, are you ready? Come on. Are we going? Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. I want to get there before the sun goes down because I want to be able to see the house before we go. And then we go to the hotel. She wants to like, you know, take a nap and unpack. And I'm like, no, 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 let's just go to the house. We can do that afterwards. And, uh, you know, just was that anxious. And when I finally went to go, we, we, we didn't turn down the right road. We didn't turn down Ocean Avenue. I missed the turn for Ocean Avenue and I went to the next street. And I was always of the mindset that this was like on a point, you know, like, like mm -hmm. Kremesit or something. Like it was on a point and it was like one of the back houses on the point so that it was surrounded by water. Cause you see that it looks like it's surrounded by water in the photos. Well, not quite. What it is, is it's more like the road, the water comes up to the roadway and splits, but it, it bisects two roads. Okay. So you can actually so go an inlet. Not, yeah, not, not you can, you can actually go to, and it's not even in the back part of the point. It's not in the, like the really expensive houses. Um, so you actually take that next right and you go alongside the water and you see the backside of the house. So I pulled over and I was like freaking out because it's like, oh my God, there it is, there it is. And then when we actually went and got around to the other, and even then I was kind of like, it's it's a house. It's just a house. Yeah. And then when we went back onto Ocean Avenue and we stopped outside of it, you know, once my, you know, my excitement kind of weared what, down a little once bit. Once your fanboy thing wears yeah, off. <laughs> yeah, once I was done geeking out over it. I looked over and I was like, it really is just a house. And it's an odd house, too, because it seems like it's shoved between two houses where it shouldn't be. 
It's like somebody decided. Somebody sublotted it and it got built. And I'm sure, you know, based on the age, I don't know how old the age of the houses are around it, but it could have been the only house there. And then they built the other two houses. But it really just feels like somebody built a house between two other houses. Uh, But then you see it and you're like, wow, it's, it's, it's just a house. And it's just a normal family that lives there. And after a little while, you start to feel bad that you're hanging outside somebody's house. Like, these poor people, and they're poor neighbors, by the way, who, you know, you can't stop outside that house. It's, like it says right on, there's a sign, no stopping. So you're actually stopping in front of the neighbor's house next door, and you just feel bad. And at one point, we're, like, sitting in the car, Stephanie and I, we're doing an Estes Method session, and a guy comes out of the house, and I think that he's, like, coming to yell at us, and he walks right by us, and he walks down the street, and then he comes back, and I think I think he was, like, moving a car or something, but it was, he didn't even pay us any attention. And I was like, man, we're really just like invading this neighborhood right now. And it's kind of that same way at the conjuring house. It's, you know, if you're, if you're going there for an event, well, the conjuring house is off, off the road more. It is, but there's neighbors. True. And it, it's not off the road more. It's right on the road. It's just, it's not a very busy road. road. Yeah. But it's it is it's literally right off the road. You can see it from the road. Yes, but I've been, the, I've been by the Conjuring House. But the the feeling there is, you know, if you're going there for an event, you park in the driveway. You know, people understand yeah. you're there as part of the event. If you're just some person coming by, sneaking around, which happens way too often, you know, then you're disturbing the neighborhood, and that's that's a problem that Nora had, uh, Norma had when she was the owner. You know, the people were showing up and disturbing things. So, I think it's a matter of. You know, you get this chance to be at this place that's connected to a movie. And when you get there in reality, it's it's not that it, it doesn't disappoint, but it brings you back into the reality of the situation. Like, oh, this 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 is a real house in a real neighborhood that has people living nearby or has people living in it. And it kind of brings you back into the, in, in two ways, it kind of deflates it a little bit because it takes away some of that that legend that you've built in your mind for it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it also brings back to reality just how much this these are intense hauntings that happened in regular everyday homes that are just part of a regular everyday neighborhood. Uh, you also got to remember, even though you know, these have you know, very intense hauntings, they don't happen every day. That's what some people get, you know, confused about how many times have we been in say like lizzie's and nothing has happened on more more occasions than not correct um Um, no i would i would say we probably had activity happen more often than not but that's uh, well well little things but i'm talking like off the wall yeah you're not getting you're not getting the amityville horror every night yeah uh and but one other thing that struck me about the amityville house too is People heard those murders. There's no way people didn't hear those murders. Like, they should have heard those murders. 35 Remington does make a bark. And with the proximity of the other two houses, there's no way people did not wake up. You would have woken up after that first gunshot. Maybe not the first gunshot. Maybe the second gunshot. But certainly by the time they were all dead, somebody would have woken up. And there is this phenomenon that I have discovered in some of my investigations, and I'm sure you have done as well, there are times when 
there is a a cone of silence, for lack of a better term. Yep. Where there is something that sucks the sound out, sucks the light out, kind of yeah. takes over that property. You know, one of the, the famous examples in, in my mind is, well, not famous, but one of my most frequent examples is the um, the Parson Barnard House in North Andover, uh, which is associated with the Salem Witch Trials. The second floor, the attic, no, not the second floor, the third floor, the attic, is a place where there was uh, there was a boys' school there, and the teacher's name was Simeon Putnam, and he was known to be very strict and, and abusive toward the boys that stayed there. And when you're in that attic, Simeon makes his presence known, and one of the things, so there's windows at the two ends of that attic, and there's a street light outside one of them. But when he gets going and starts doing his thing in that attic, there's no light. He sucks all the light out of that room, and you can't see your own, and your eyes never adjust to the darkness. So you could be standing right in front of me. I'm never going to be able to see you. I won't be able to see my hand and my face. It's a very weird and very awkward sensation. It's it's similar to what kind of ha can happen in the basement of the uh, Murdoch Whitney house. You know, you can get that same sense yeah. of, of of enveloping darkness. And then peach pits thrown at you. Yeah, no peach pits this I time. Am still fascinated as hell about how that you know because uh, you and i both experienced it mm -hmm. on not just one uh, several occasions and then we found the peach pits down yeah there. and we <laughs> like what are these and so then i thought at one point that they were like seed casings for a tree and well, that sense and, and i i thought well but i thought like maybe it's like an like a tree outside these these are seed casings and then i look them up and i can't it, it's a peach pit yeah and we went back the next time and they're still on the ground there I didn't look this time, but uh, we didn't we didn't have peach pits this time that we went, and we didn't have the um, we didn't have well, we're on disembodied the, voices downstairs. The we're, basement was we're on the stream. I can say it. We didn't have the masturbating ghost either. Okay, so <laughs> I tried. I brought my SLS camera and I pointed it right at that tub, and I waited, and uh, <laughs> no, nothing, nothing happened. So um, uh, another interesting thing about that. Remind me to tell you off there. There's a interesting development over there. That I'm not quite not quite ready to talk about on the air, but um, there's certainly there's a there's a reality that sets in in some cases that these places are real homes, they are real buildings, they are real places beyond just being the paranormal side of things. You know, like when you think about. Lizzie Borden and how how that was somebody's home for so many years after the murders happened. Or like the Ferring Tavern. It's no longer a home. It's a museum or... I was talking you know, about that just last week. The Payne House or, you know... Speaking of it, how is Christy? Uh, she's doing good. Yeah, she's yeah. she's making her... She's making her... Um, re, she's rehabbing. Uh, she's staying with um, some friends and rehabbing. And, you know, she's back on social media. And, good. you know, she seems to be healing well. Has, you know, Extend making some, her my best wishes. Will do. Making some life changes. But uh, she should be back at it hopefully soon. The, the thing that I... You know, going back to what you said about the Fearing Tavern. And you look at that now and you say, okay, here is a place from 1690 and it's easy to forget but it was home into the 50s yeah that until yeah. i think it was 1960 was the year that the historical society took it over and i'm sure even then it took them a few years to yeah. make it like it is now until then it would have looked like anybody's home like you would have walked in they would have had a tv they would have had a refrigerator they would have had indoor plumbing yep. they would have had far more electricity than they do i mean deconstructing that house and turning it into what it is now must have been an amazing i wish somebody had documented it on film because it would have been an amazing thing to see. 
like to strip that all down and turn it into what it was in the 1700s, 1600s. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, and, and even, even if you, you don't get it exact, you still have that rustic sense to it. And anybody that's walked in there that never saw it the other way, like that's the only way that it's ever been in their mind. And it's, it's fascinating to me how much, you know, you can change some of these places like, I'm sure the Lizzie Borden house changed quite a bit yeah. before they started remaking it to look like it did in the photos. I also think, too, though, that if you do have electricity, you can leave a few outlets because us ghost hunters are going to need them when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that bugs me about the Fearing Tavern is you got to plug everything in and downstairs in that one outlet. Yeah. But, um, but it really is, it really is, um, we're privileged to have the opportunity to go into some of these places because... Really, if you think about it, the Conjuring House, if not for this story, first of all, if not for this story, it might not be a property that survived. You know, that at some point somebody might have said, it's time to just level this place and build something new on this property. That, th you know, this owner taking over and, and, and the Heinzens before her saying like, we want to make this the conjuring house. We want to make this a place people can come and investigate. If that property had just been sold to somebody else, that person might've decided at some point it's time to level this and mm -hmm. build something with more modern conveniences uh, instead of somebody who was trying to preserve it for its history. So, but we're, we're lucky because it really, it really should stay a private residence, but because of the power of this story, you know, where the public is able to get inside there and check it out. Yeah. Well, we we live in a very history-rich area, so we're lucky in that respect. Yeah, I mean, and when you think about the amount of places like asylums, you know, hospitals, hospitals jails, jails, things that should have yeah. been torn down Churches. years ago, yeah. but that but that the paranormal helps keep it open and helps keep it alive. Eventually, they're going to go away. You know, eventually, there's going to be somebody who comes in and says. I don't care how much money they're making on these ghost hunts. It's not worth it. That property is more valuable. Look at Danvers. You know, let's 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 yeah. tear it down for the most part and let's turn it all into condominiums. That's going to be the fate of a lot of these places. But for now, you know, we're able to keep them going. Lakeville Hospital, I think, is slated to be leveled. How many times have they had potential buyers for that oh, over yeah. the years, you know? Uh, the, the, the armory in New Bedford, that just got sold to the city. I mean, so the state sold it to the city for $10. I tried to give the mayor the $10 so that I could go in there and investigate. He wouldn't take my $10 bill. But they just bought that. The state is putting in $3.5 million to renovate the roof. And then after that, they're, they're going to open it up for development. So it's going to be turned into, into apartments. That's what it's going to be. And somebody's going to come in. Somebody's going to want to invest that money. And they're going to turn it into apartments. So that's the future of a lot of these places. And we as paranormal investigators and fans and researchers, we're only prolonging that inevitability because it's, it's, we're not going to be able to keep it that way forever. At some point, something's, I mean, we made it through the pandemic really with a lot of these places not having to shut down, but it's sad to say the eventual future is, you know, well, at one point this place was filled with 200 year old buildings and then we, Plowed them all down for progress. Yay. So, you know, assuming that they were buildings built in the 1600s that were leveled in the 1800s. And that's reasonable. Yeah. And reasonable. So, 
when that's why we focus on so many of these things. It's why we promote the events that people are going on and have going on. It's why we run our own. It's because like, let's take advantage of these while we can get in there. Cause we've seen it happen. Uh, I was just talking with somebody about the Houghton mansion. You know, here's a place that we can't get into anymore and haunted as hell and probably, probably won't be able to get into. Although as it's sitting there languishing, the hope is that, the paranormal focus will become renewed and that maybe this person will realize, well, if I can't see my vision through quite yet, at least I can make a little money by letting people in here because you're right. It is one of the most insanely haunted places. And it's, it's a story that needs to be told. It's and and it's something that needs to be, think about the way that we investigated back then versus the way that we investigate now. You know, we have much more, um, the, I know that I say that I don't really like to use the equipment, but we do have much more evolved equipment. It's easy to get our hands on some of the stuff that we couldn't get our hands on back then. So opening that place back up and investigating it differently than we did 10 years ago would be a huge difference, you know, and, and, but it's just sitting there and language, not, not allowing that to happen. So uh, listen, every, when we, when we, when we uh, buy our spooky South coast lottery ticket, and we win that jackpot. Yep. We just have to go knock on the door and say, hey, listen, we just won a bunch of money and we're stupid. So we're just going to buy a bunch of stuff and not really like, you know, talk to a financial advisor or anything. Name your price. <laughs> because I, 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 it's sad when you think about how, how low that place went for and that we couldn't pull something off. I think it went for under 300 grand, didn't it? Yeah. I thought it was like 260, 275 or something. Very cheap for what the Spe- size of Speaking of people who had to let their haunted properties go for short money, I don't know if you saw this recently, but Edward and Lillian, Edward and Lillian uh, returned to the S.K. Pierce mansion. Did they? Yeah. Well, now, so the S.K. Pierce mansion has now opened up for tours. So they've they've completed the renovation inside. And now they're doing historical tours and you can go and take a tour. The plan is very soon, if not already, they're going to be opening up for people to stay overnight. They were just finishing one bit of the, so they, they have the so driveway. So they become tour guides? Is that it? I know. No, they were just, they just went back for a visit. Oh, okay. I was like, I know they sold it. No, they went back for a visit, but um, they, so th- from the way Marion was explaining it to me, they just have to finish a little parking area. Mm. They have to grade that properly. To, 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 to get all the um, all the permits that they need uh, cleared away, and then then they'll be allowed to open up for people to stay overnight. Yeah, there's there's a waiting list of like six thousand people to stay there. Area had left a lot to be desired. Well, that's the, yeah, they're going to yeah. raise it up so that it drains, and then um, but now you can just go there and you can take a tour. So that's that's something that they have going on. So Edwin and Edwin and Lillian, I keep. Yeah, I, it's all right. I know who you meant. Yeah, I keep, I keep going back to Edward yeah. from no, the Edwin. Pierce family. Uh, so, but they, so they got a chance to go back there, and they had photos of them in there. So I didn't get a chance to, to. I wanted to call them up and talk to them and say, "Hey, do you want to pop on the show and talk about what it was like being back there?" But uh, if they're listening, you know, reach out. We'd love to have you come on. We are just about out of time for this week. Uh, when we return next week, let me tell you. Hold on. Let me pull up my calendar. And uh, what have you got for events where you're going to be at? Um, that's it. I have nothing else planned yet. All right. Well, Work, I- working on securing a date for the wayside. But other than that, 
Next week, Reverend Karen E. Herrick is our guest. She's going to be talking about the spirituality and how it relates to psychology, which I think is going to be a, a fascinating discussion. Excellent. I told Stephanie you have to be here because it's a lot of, you know, medium stuff. So you got to be here for it. So hopefully she'll be able to join us and take part in that. Um, I also think, too, that, you know, when we celebrate our anniversary this year on our actual anniversary... <laughs> That, you know, maybe we'll invite some of our former friends, former friends, our former guests <laughs> and friends. <laughs> I hope they're still our friends. I haven't talked to some of them for a while. Well, some of them, yeah. But uh, I hope that they can come on and, uh, and join us. As Speaking of for, former guests and former friends, I actually did make one change in the, um, in the uh, episode descriptions as I was fixing the podcast. When I got to the episode where Father Daniel Gargilio was our guest, yeah. I did make a note that uh, he turned out to be a fraud. So, yeah. which all these years later, Coast to Coast still hasn't updated that information on their website. They haven't pulled that episode down. So he's been exposed as a fraud and, and um, a, a creation, a fictional creation of a guy who is of questionable character. So on the day that, you know, the weekend that I got to hang out with them, He's definitely an odd duck. Yeah. Definitely an odd duck. A lot of, like, uh, I met some weird, quote unquote, priests and, you know, clergy people before, but, you know, so, but, yeah. Talk about misogyny and the paranormal. He's uh, he's one of the OG uh, <laughs> people who were accused of that. So that, that was something that I just had to make note of. And by the way, speaking of Coast to Coast AM, happy 20 years to George Norrie who uh, celebrated his 20th anniversary as being the host of the program. So that's um, that's very, you know, that's a milestone. I know he keeps he kept saying before he was only going to go to his next contract, and then, yeah. then when he signed the most recent contract, he said, I'm going to stay in this job forever. So um, hurry up, George, and decide that you don't want to do that anymore so I can take over. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. He's Well, uh, you have been a guest host every, you know. Not on that program. Not yet. No. Well. I, I was trying to get the I was trying to get WBSM to put coast to coast on, so that maybe that would help me be a guest host over there. But yeah, all right, didn't didn't work out quite yet. But the, listen, Tom Danheiser, you have my phone number. If you need a guest host, you know how to get to me. Uh, my, I don't have to do my show till nine o'clock in the morning, so I can certainly stay up and 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 host coast to coast. And I've got all the equipment to do it. Right at home. So, all right. Well, that's going to do it for us for this week. Uh, again, as I said, next week, our guest will be Reverend Karen E. Herrick. And then we're looking to bring back some of our you know favorite past guests coming up in the coming weeks here as we get ready to look back with our 17th anniversary uh, coming up on January 28th. And um, uh, we'll, we'll have some champagne, I think, right? Yeah, we yeah. usually do. And Mind if I promote something? Uh, I have about one uh, 30, 38 seconds. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm working on UFO Expo, ufoxpo.com. That's uh, an event that we got going on in Roswell in March. It's going to be a lot of good UFO speakers. And, and that's uh, one of two events this year, right? Yeah, one of two. All right, well, we'll definitely be talking more about that. We'll be uh, giving you more information about it as we go along. If you want to reach out to us, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. If you want to catch any of our past episodes, you can find it wherever your podcasts are found. If you have trouble with your feed, please let me know, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, so that I can fix it. And uh, we're also, I think, going to start trying to create the the Spooky South Coast podcast on the WBSM app as well. Make it a little bit easier and tied in with everything else that goes on there. So that'll make it so that you can get it from a variety of different ways. So until next week, 
Uh, and when we hopefully we'll have the whole spooky crew back uh, for Matt and for Stephanie, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular. <laughs>